Oh gosh. Did, have you had that thing where it says this meeting is being recorded? Yeah, yeah mine said just... by Facebook. Mine said by Facebook and um, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it actually just had like a little voice yeah, saying no, it that. Did, it's not it done did that for me too. before. No, it's a new feature. It just brought it up on my end. This meeting do, is do you, being recorded. Do you hear Jeff Bezos' voice in your ear right now? I hear it really distinctly. Like, I always do. <laughs> him and Elon Musk. It's yes. that's what that's what's that thing called? Skylab? Sky The Illuminati? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that, that three hour one he did with Joe Rogan heartily recommend it like yeah. stuff yeah. i learned about space and like about cars just by listening to those two it's great it's great yeah that's awesome <laughs> oh sorry we're, we're recording we're doing a podcast yeah. sorry sweet <laughs> again hey twos or threes uh or twos and threes rather um welcome along today we have a special guest as you can see dan lake um so Let's just get started on that intro, huh? Cool. Two or Three Gathered is a series of conversations with Christian brothers and sisters, considering their efforts and contributions to the kingdom vocationally, their stories and testimonies of God's sovereignty and grace, and an opportunity to tackle the relevant issues the church faces in the 21st century. In this, we seek to equip the saints by networking within the body, starting conversation around often taboo subjects, and seeking to develop unity across Christian denominations and traditions by starting conversation on such worthy topics. We want to educate the wider body of Christ by asking these experts and people of wisdom across multiple fields the hot-button questions and sophisticated questions that we believe there are answers for in Christ's church but that there's not necessarily access to. It is our heart that Christ himself would be in our midst as we converse about things we believe he himself is very interested in. Mr. Dan Lake, it is such a privilege to have you on to the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, if the pre-conversation is anything to go by, like, I'm pumped. <laughs> We're in for a good time. Well, at least the three of us. Uh, yes. I don't know who else will, but they'll be joining us. <laughs> and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Definitely. Um, part of the reason we have Dan on is a bu bunch of different reasons. Like, um, particularly what inspired me is a, a conversation where I met Dan via a mutual friend a couple of years ago uh, as part of a home group where he had just been finishing his role up with a YWAM, uh, where he had actually, and you can correct me on any of the details, please, Dan, if I do get these wrong, uh, where he had been a missional leader for over 20 years in over 15 different countries. Is that correct? Um, other way around. Other <laughs> way around. You were so close. So, uh, <laughs> so just, just 15 around 15 years, years and, uh, and, yeah, in over 20 countries but you had okay. it you had I it had it good. i had it <laughs> um so and was also born to two yway missionary parents as well that's correct mm. Mm. and also uh currently dan actually holds a role in fungapatoa baptist church based in the hibiscus coast auckland as their teaching pastor um so we wanted to have kind of a conversation kind of a rambling conversation um about 
the sky and how he's gregarious in nature and very you know uh very christ-like and kind of how he relates to others is what i've got an impression of with dan so far um but just no a, a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of his testimony um a little bit of his work experience talking a little bit about uh ywam as a uh, missional organization an international missional organization as well but then also just also touching on uh professional ministry and church ministry and seeing where that conversation leads us um I wondered if just to start off with, uh, Dan, if you could actually, relating to your testimony in faith, how being a Christian relates to what you do or have done. Um, yeah, Mike, over to you, man. Yeah, I, I think uh, when I hear testimony, I, I always thought that, uh, you know, I didn't have a, you know, a super testimony. I mean, I know a guy that uh, again, this is a, a YWAM Youth with a Mission story, but on his way to uh, coming to a discipleship training school, he gave his gun away in the car on the way to the airport uh, saying, you know, I'm, I'm basically fleeing my, my gang life uh, to give my life to God. And I don't even know what that means, but, you know, give your, give your gun to your friend in the car on the way. And, and I always thought, man, I don't have a testimony. You know, my, my testimony, uh, I, I was wrong to think that, but I, I you know, there was nothing um, earth shattering. I, I grew up uh, in a home where, yeah, we lived uh, with youth with a mission uh, or in youth with a mission for about three years when I was a kid and came back to New Zealand, uh, having been to places like Korea and the Philippines and Singapore and Hong Kong and seeing a world outside of, you know, farmland New Zealand, little rural uh, country town New Zealand. And so I, I just thought, well, you know, what, what do I do with my uh, faith? You know, is this it? I've seen the world. I'm back in New Zealand. Uh, and I think as a teenager, I really just decided if I don't have a you know, one of those radical testimonies, I'm going to make one. I'm going to make one by making a bunch of terrible decisions, you know, <laughs> like pre-deciding, that's it. Uh, I'm going to turn into uh, a, a bit of a party animal. I'm going to turn into, uh, I'm going to lean on some outgoing, you know, characteristics that I have and, and sort of live life to the max. So that took me uh, in my uni early university days to working for uh, a bungee jump company here in Auckland, AJ Hackett. And, uh, you know, that was a ton of fun being around the tourism industry, but it's not a very Christ-filled, Christ-like industry. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, I just this week was watching a, a bungee that I did on a, a little pink bicycle that I borrowed from a friend's little sister. And, um, took it out there and we we borrowed a shopping trolley from the new world at victoria park and and uh I, I did take it back after a week i didn't just steal it and throw it in the harbor i did i did bunch of jump take it back um you know these adventures but it was all of this sort of trying to go you know what the church is doing this i want to do something different i want to almost like create a a crazy testimony for myself and in the midst of that, I probably got down to going to church 20 minutes a week. 
you know, I knew the format. It's like, great, we're going to have a couple songs where there's going to be some notices. Here's a message. Here's another song. And I sort of knew if I go in at this time, I'll get the last song and I can say hi to my friends and, you know, I won't have to be challenged by anything. So that was sort of the, the, the launching place for me then uh, to be in a position where I was not near Jesus. So then there was transformation. You know, I didn't, I, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, like it's, it's fascinating. Um, the term we throw around in our Kingsway sometimes is like, you know, some of these kids who you know, we love deeply and implicitly, that needs to be said as a disclaimer. You know, they've grown up in Christian homes. They've gone through Christian schooling for much of their life. Some of the cases, it's almost like you can be inoculated against the gospel. That's the, that's a term <laughs> our, our mutual friend uh, Ben Sharpen likes to throw, throw around. Um, I wonder if that's of some consequence of what you're saying, Dan. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and like it was a... Um, you know, I, I talk about an idea like the fear of the lord i didn't have the fear of the lord i had the fear of my mom you know why are you why are you doing something or not doing something well i just don't want the consequences you know i just don't want to get in trouble uh but it's like i want to get in enough trouble out of sight that you know my life was my decisions were a train wreck so um i've been on this journey i started dating a, a girl uh in university maybe the world's shortest relationship. Uh, but I had started dating this girl. I came home and um, I remember being in my kitchen and my mom said, uh, hey, you know, can we talk for a minute? And I remember sitting up on the, on the countertop in the kitchen and, and she just said, hey, I know you, you, know, you started dating this girl uh, and, and I know she's not a Christian and I just want you to know that no matter what you do, I'll, I'll love you, support you, uh, but you need to decide uh, you know, this is a decision moment for you. Are you going to walk? If you keep in this relationship, you're going to go further and further away from God mm. and you're already far enough. <laughs> are, are you going to keep going? Uh, this is a decision for you. You know, is God real? And I remember like sitting in my kitchen thinking, I don't know if God's real. I mean, I think he might be. Well, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. And, but I also knew that I had seen enough that I sort of, I had to go, I think you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't deny that you're not real. I'm just, I, I don't really know you. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. I awkwardly broke up with this girl. Oh, <laughs> you know, the most awkward, you know, why are you breaking up with me? I'm Jesus. You know, I blame. <laughs> it's okay. He's big enough to take the blame, but you know, it was so awkward, uh, and I didn't even know why. But, so, in the midst of almost the sense of trying to flee the awkwardness of my life, uh, my brother was overseas, um, living in Kansas City, right in the middle of America, doing a, a youth with a mission school there around neighborhoods and community engagement, and so I bought a plane ticket just to get out of the country, just to get away from uh, university, away from bungee jumping, away from New Zealand, um, away from the sort of mental game of should I, shouldn't I? Maybe I like this girl, but what about God? 
So I went to America. And when I got there, man, Kansas City in winter is garbage. It's so brown <laughs> and it's so gray and it's just bleak and depressing in the middle of winter in Kansas. Uh, you know, if you've never been there, I was coming from the coast. It was, you know, December and beaches and sunshine and ah. And my brother was there. He was part of this youth with a mission, this Christian community. And it was the first time that I saw some people who I felt like they said that God was real and they lived like God was real. When they said, hey, I'm going to pray for you, they actually just stopped what they were doing and prayed for you. You know, it wasn't a throwaway comment. Uh, when there was an opportunity, man, we heard about somebody that has a need. All right. Well, you know, what do we have? How can we how can we help? What can we give out of, uh, you know, what we've got rather than waiting until, well, you know, when I when I get an extra bit of income, then I'll give you something, you know, then I'll help out, then I'll try and rally around you. Uh, you know, it was such a community of support. And so uh, I showed up there and um, man, I, I got challenged. So they had this guest speaker and he goes, how are you living and how are you dying? And is the way you're living, is it worth dying for? And I remember thinking like, I'm not going to die for my job. I mean, bungee jumping is fine. I might die doing my job, but I'm not going to die for bungee jumping. I'm not going to die for my, you know, 1989 Mitsubishi Galant. Uh, I'm not going to die for my, you know, I was big into kayaking. I'm not going to die for that. And, and this girl, uh, no, I'm not going to, no. And, and all these big things in my life, kind of the big ticket items that I was like, I wouldn't die for that or that or that. So I remember going away and, and it, there was this prayer space there and I just prayed and I was like, all right, God, if you're real, show me. You know, almost like hats off in the ring. Like, <laughs> all right, show me if you're real. Mm -hmm. And nothing exciting happened in that moment. You know, there was no like <laughs> subtle hymnal music in the background and <laughs> stream of light and an angel. Came. I mean, there's nothing, nothing happened. But I think... Nothing. <laughs> no, no. But I think in that moment, God said, all right, I'll show you. I'll show you that I'm real. And so that set me on a journey that to this day is God saying, okay, I'll show you that I'm real. Uh, you know, and there's lots more in that story that I can uh, unpack, but the, the crux of it was this transformation of, okay, show me that you're real. Uh, you know, one of the earliest probably stories around that, you know, if, if we got time, a, a quick story was I needed, um, you know, the opportunity came along to go and do a, a, a school with Youth with a Mission. My brother told me about this school, a, a discipleship uh, training school. So I needed money to go. I'd spent it all going to visit him in the first place. And so I was praying. I said, all right, God, if you're real, show me. Give me the, the, the money. And I went out to the mailbox one day uh and there was an envelope with 500 dollars in it wow. and it just said dan lake 500 bucks wow. no card no note no nothing and i just hmm. remember thinking either god is real and and you know he's prompted some like who gives away 500 dollars? i mean if you know somebody that's giving away 500 dollars regularly i'll you know 
I'll DM them. Uh, happy to, you know, but. I'll, I'll be messaging them first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if so it was this like, who gives away $500 and there's no card and no note. So either, either God is real or someone's crazy. But I think that God is real. And, and so there was, uh, there's lots of stories like that where I've seen God's provision uh, as, as his continual reminder, hey, you asked me to show you. I am. I, I still am. So. You mentioned um, in our correspondence uh, this, just this uh, comment here. Uh, mm. Since leaving YWAM, you have finished a master's degree in leadership and then transitioned that study into leadership coaching and development business helping organizations mm -hmm. and leaders in the space of emerging leadership. Um, I wondered if you wanted to speak to that at all. Um, yeah. Perhaps also your, your work uh, with open doors to some degree as totally. well. Mm. Totally, yeah. So uh, I um, am super passionate about emerging leaders. Uh, I am a millennial, but now I've just recently realized that I'm an old millennial <laughs> in my <laughs> in my later 30s. I was about to say later mid 30s, but that just sounds desperate. Uh, and the reality is that that there's a, an, an entire generation that I think has been uh, lumped and blamed and vilified for society's issues in the millennial generation. Uh, probably if you look at other generations, they had the same thing. But now you know, we're looking at Gen uh, Z or uh, Gen Y, depends who you are, are asking, uh, you know, what's, what's coming up. And so really passionate about seeing young people thrive. I, you know, we're probably, you're, you're seeing them thrive in a space of, of education and pre-stepping out of home. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to help them thrive in that man, you're in your first steps out of home or your first steps into adulthood. How do you step up both in as people and leaders and, and influencers, but then in the Christian space, uh, man, how do you be ready for a life in the world today? How do you be ready for the complexity of, um, I mean, just think of life in New Zealand. How do you, how do you leave home and be ready for million dollar house prices? How do you be ready for, uh, you know, a, a job market in a, in a post-COVID-ish world? Uh, you know, you spent years maybe learning something that maybe doesn't have the same value that you thought it was going to when you we're in education, you know, all of those questions. So that's, that's where I'm passionate. Uh, mm. Don't know if that helps, but mm. yeah. And then there was a, a short season there too, of serving as the uh, New Zealand director for Open Doors. So Open Doors has been around about as long as, um, or even actually longer, five years longer than Youth with a Mission. Uh, 1955, uh, wow. a 21 year old guy named Andrew, Dutch guy, uh, got injured in the military, started reading a Bible. It was sort of the last thing he wanted to read. Uh, but once he started reading it, he felt like, man, I can, 
you know, I, I want to do something about this. And he heard that people behind the Iron Curtain didn't have Bibles. And he said, great, I'll take them some. So he loaded his little Volkswagen Beetle up with Bibles and went across the border and um, spent, you know, years, decades smuggling Bibles. Uh, famously in the 80s, they smuggled about a million Bibles into China in one night. Wow. They took them off ships from uh, just offshore uh, and, you know, behind the communist China. And um, now probably the center of where that work has moved to has gone from communist Russia then into China and now back towards the Middle East. And mm. that's where about one in eight Christians around the world are heavily persecuted uh, and so mm. that work is focusing on, man, how do you help people not give up? It's not, um, how do we describe it? It's easy to end persecution. Just tell people to stop following Jesus. Mm. Then there's no more persecution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the persecution goes away when you stop following. So, mm. so the issue is not, don't, don't try and end persecution. Try and help people who are following Jesus to remain faithful. Mm. And yeah, that's the real challenge. So, Dan, you've had a very varied um, career uh, with uh, many accomplishments by the looks of it. What are some things that you are proud of having done and participated in? And um, of that, what, what are some things that you're currently working on? Yeah, that's a great question. Man, I think most proud genuinely most proud is that when the opportunity has come along to a step into something that's obeying god and it's felt uncomfortable but still going yep i'm doing it i'm stepping in so i can think of uh, multiple times with with you know as an individual with a conversation uh, or an opportunity to um, step out in generosity and going, ah, oh, this feels awkward. But then you do it and going, man, actually, I'm, I'm proud that I did that. So, there, I mean, there's some big things. I, you know, uh, you know, I'm proud of being part of a, a team that um, the charity still exists, but working with getting Ugandan families, uh, you know, Ugandan orphans into homes with Ugandan families. That was a, a big accomplishment. It was great to be part of that pioneering team. Uh, some big accomplishments around, um, you know, training and people that that I've seen their lives transformed. But but the biggest is that you know those opportunities to embrace the, the reality of scripture and not just the I don't know lip service. That's a big. I feel like man, that's an individual uh, accomplishment. Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely stoked on, you know, some of the leadership opportunities that I've been given, uh, people that we've been able to talk to, you know, suddenly thinking of a story, we were in, uh, we were in Rome when, not this current Pope Francis, but the previous Pope Benedict, when he was elected as Pope, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen how they how they do that with the smoke they, um, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the smoke. So um, we arrived in Rome on the train uh, overnight from from Paris. We were with an outreach team, 
and um, dropped our, our bags uh, at our accommodation and straight to the Vatican. And I, I mean, sea of people, like maybe 400,000 people uh, out in St. Peter's Basilica, right out the front. And, um, you know, all the cardinals inside having their vote. And uh, I remember just praying, even as we showed up, God, may, may the person that you want to be Pope be, become a Pope. And uh, must have been like really, like kind of like surreal being a part of history in that moment. I guess it's it was totally that. surreal. Yeah, like yeah. and sort of. All right, God, we we trust that you called us to come here to mm -hmm. Rome for a reason to mm -hmm. to pray to to be here, and um, so really praying that the the right person will become Pope. And then, you know, exactly like Caleb said the the smoke comes out and it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's, is that the, I can't remember which is which, if it's, if it's white, if it's good or black, if it's good, but either way, salt and pepper smoke. Uh, and they, they, um, you know, the right smoke came out and it's like, oh, the Pope's been elected. And, uh, and so, you know, we were there this day where the, the, the Pope is elected. And then we go, well, all right, God, now what, <laughs> you know, what do you do? We're, we're, uh, you know, we're a bunch of, I think at that point, most of us were, say, you know, between 19 and 23. And uh, it was a team of eight of us. And so we were praying and we felt like God said, make these big signs, huge signs that say the key to youth is relationship with Jesus Christ and make them in English and in German because uh, Pope Benedict is originally from Germany. And, um, and so we made them in English and German and, and, uh, and then we went along every Wednesday. There's an open sort of public mass, I guess. The Pope speaks in, in uh, Latin. And I mean, so we showed up. We would leave home at four in the morning. I'm like, we're not even Catholic. What are we doing here? And uh, we'd, we'd show up at the Vatican. And it was us in our sort of board shorts and, you know, basically just young adults, YWAMers with T-shirts and and hoodies, and then it was monks and nuns with the full regalia, the habits, and the big wooden crosses, and the big hoods, and and uh, they're all trying to get close to the Pope, and we're trying to get to where can we hold these signs up, so we went and held these signs up, and, and uh, you know, the Swiss guards there, they said, put the signs down, and put the signs down, they turn around, and the signs back up, and then, uh, you know, finally the Pope comes, and they can't turn around anymore, they just stand there so we just hold the signs up and, and i remember seeing the pope uh come out in this little pope mobile uh, if you've ever seen it, it's a little kind of yeah. weird car thing and um he came out in the pope mobile and i mean we would have been four or five meters from the pope his po you know watching his eyes read these signs and 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 seeing him you know read the sign nod that's it pope mobile's gone and, and away it goes and going all right god we did what you said to do, uh, well, you know? And, and we went back and they had this debriefing time from this big school, all the outreach teams came back and, and there were some amazing stories. There was one team that had shown up in, in Africa and uh, they saw 300 people healed of deafness in their first weekend in Africa, uh, you know, baptized about 80 people on their first weekend, you know, amazing stuff and our team showed up and we were like 
but we held up a sign for the Pope. <laughs> you know, wow. we did what God, I mean, we said we, we did what God told us to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unashamedly, we, we celebrate that we did what God told us to do. And man, it felt awkward, but man, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't until later, uh, months later, there's this big event called World Youth Day and the Pope gives a big speech and, you know, they, they, they tell everybody what he's going to say. He just reads off a script. And uh, we got two lines into his script and he just put it down and he just looked at everybody and goes, you know, young people today just need to follow Jesus. And he mm-hmm. spent the next like 30, 40 minutes just talking about how young people need to come to Jesus. Yeah. That that's what's going to make a difference. And it's like, yes God. you know like that was that was that uh, uh, a lifetime of study for him totally i absolutely believe that but was there also something about a you know a bunch of young kids with some green car- cartridge paper and a sharpie I, I absolutely believe that too like mm-hmm. you know the piece that god had for us was to be obedient so i feel like yeah. some of those uh, I guess to come back to your question, Caleb, around accomplishments, those stories of obedience that I carry, those are the ones where I go, man, that was satisfying. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> cool. And um, that, that, that's awesome. Um, is, is there anything that you're currently working on at the moment that, uh, that you'd like to mention or that you're rather proud of or something of the sort? Yeah. Yeah, no, great question. Uh, I am 90% of the way through a book on leadership, uh, coming back to that passion of emerging leaders. And um, that was going to be a title, but then there's lots of books called Emerging Leaders. So we've moved on from that. And uh, thanks, Amazon, that I can check uh, so many. Uh, But yeah, sort of a mix between a coffee table book and a read through it book. So I think the longest chapter is six pages. Uh, most of the chapters are two or three. And it's really, man, if I was, if I was leading, what would I want to know? What would I want to pick up? Here's an idea, put it down. You know, little ideas. Hey, you hired good people, trust them. Yeah. That's, that's it. You know, how do you reflect on a statement like that? Uh, you know, there's some fun chapters in there about, um, a bit of a story in there about Van Halen when they went on tour in the uh, 80s and they would have in their rider saying, hey, no brown M&Ms. And you're thinking, man, Van Halen just hates brown M&Ms. Like, you know, they, they wanted 24 packs of yogurt and they wanted some, some liquor and they wanted water and they wanted, you know, fresh fruits and flowers and M&Ms with no brown ones. Absolutely no brown ones. Yeah. And, uh, and so then the reason was not that they hated these M&Ms, but um, their stage setup was so complex. It weighed, so I think they had 850 lights uh, as part of their roadshow tour. The, the weight of it uh, was fantastic. And they knew right away, walk into the room, brown M&Ms, nobody read the document. Uh, so now we got to start again on safety. We got to start again on checking everything. Just mm. nobody read it. It was a one-foot fence. Like, what's that thing that's so simple but tells you right away if something's done or not done, uh, yeah. or maybe reveals something about the character of somebody, or mm. you know? So, uh, so subtle, so clever. 
Yeah. So they, yeah, I mean, one famous sort of time in Colorado, they, um, you know, they obviously found the brown M&Ms and the weight of the stage sank through the floor in this expensive, uh, you know, stadium floor. Wow. And um, it was about $80,000 worth of damage, uh, which in the eighties was, you know, a lot more than it is today. And um, really, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it helped with the Van Halen, like, you know, rocker allure, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I think it was, you know, more that like brown m and so simple. It's a great trick. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'm excited about that's the book. A, it's a real yeah. excitement. Oh, I was going to say notoriety, you know, that's all good press, right? Like <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. 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 Are you thinking, are you thinking something like leaders and lattes? Like that's, that's, you know, a working name. <laughs> yeah. I had something similar. I had, um, what did I have? I had leader shot and I was going to have a picture of like a, like a, a coffee machine. That's uh, great. On the front. Uh, um, it still feels like it's a name I have to explain. I'm trying yeah. to find something that I don't have to explain, but mm -hmm. like a pun anyway. or something. Just not like, yeah. not like a bump with a boss, like, <laughs> there you go. probably not probably not, probably not. <laughs> uh, what was the one i was working on today uh leading in an age of followers hmm. cool hmm. yeah i like that more hmm. yeah concise yeah, and to the point know. of what you're actually trying to yeah. achieve eh? quite memorable yeah, hmm. yeah i'm trying to I've, I've still got some work to do but um yeah anyway i'm excited hmm. and then uh and then i'm also excited Probably just current ongoing, you know, this year as, as a church, we're going through the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And it's just super fun to be spending mm -hmm. a bit of time in two really good books that Luke wrote. And uh, I feel like, though they're not earth shattering accomplishments, I feel like, man, I'm seeing things with new eyes. And, you know, maybe you guys have had this, you just read something for the 15 millionth time, it feels like. Uh, but suddenly you notice something new and I just had one of these this week. I'm like, Oh, so rich. So good. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. So loving being mm -hmm. in the books of Luke and Acts. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm having, I'm having an experience. I'm reading a, um, it's a composite version of the gospels, but it's read chronologically. So all the gospels are put into like cool. one narrative. And it kind of reads through all the events of like the gospels, but as one account. Yeah. Um, I'm quite, I'm quite enjoying that, you know, yeah. obviously it doesn't have the, it doesn't have what each of the writers were trying to achieve with their own individual accounts. So there's that, but there is a sense of like, oh, chronologically, this is kind of how it would have fallen and would have followed. Um, yeah. Ah. yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely having that. I, I, yeah, I can relate to actually having that sense of like, oh yeah, this is coming alive in a new way. It's cool to yeah. actually kind of into my head and be like this and then that and then the other thing mm. yeah that's awesome cool mm. wow i like I that like it. Mm. Yeah. um i'll link it to you guys if you're interested yeah um i i have a question here uh that i wanted to ask you so Hit talking me. about your work with um youth with a mission dan um what i'm wondering if you can actually tell us a little bit about the work ywam does for you know our typical listener who may not know of actually the organization why it is important and what your role your own role entailed for the time you were there can you tell us a little bit about those things totally yeah so youth of the mission 
uh, started back in 1960, and the missions landscape in 1960 was so different than it is today. If you wanted to be a missionary in the 60s, you needed to have, at the very least, a master's degree, probably a doctorate. Uh, you needed to be committed to learning a language and going long-term to somewhere. And those things are, are good and helpful, uh, but what about somebody that wants to go and serve and isn't sure if they want to get a master's and a doctorate and learn a language? And, you know, what if, and, and what if somebody uh, doesn't have kids and wants to go while they're young and, and single and full of passion and energy uh, and isn't asleep on the couch at nine o'clock? Like what, what if somebody wants to go? There wasn't really a space for that. And so a young uh, American couple named Lauren and Darlene Cunningham uh, had a vision. They, they felt like God gave them this picture, almost like waves of, of young people coming onto the shores of nations around the world, like a map, you know, and these waves of young people. And they said, man, we could, we could take some people. So they, they got uh, originally just a, a couple of people, they said, hey, there's a, a missions opportunity. Um, you have to pay your own way. Uh, you have to, you're not getting paid to be here, uh, but do you want to go? And, and these young guys were like, absolutely, we want to go. Uh, so originally they started out in the Caribbean islands um, from the States, nice and close. And then from there expanded into Europe, uh, the hippie trail into Afghanistan, uh, pre-Taliban, you know, Afghanistan was uh, a very different country, you know, and then, and then from there, really, YWAM exploded around the world, uh, you know, from both the States and Europe, and now I think YWAM works in about 180 countries around the world and trains wow. about 20,000 people a year mm. in um, short or long-term missions, and, you know, when I was involved in, in YOM. Uh, I think the youngest person I met who was, you know, there on their own as, as part of a school was 17. Uh, and the oldest person I met uh, who was part of a school was 96. And he was 96. And he said, I feel like God's given me a heart for North Korea. And uh, wow. so he would, had come and he was learning a, a school called TESOL, teaching English to speakers of other languages. And, uh, and he said, um, after I finished the school, uh, my son and his son was, gosh, in his early 70s. So 96-year-old and his son in his 70s, they both came and studied and they moved to China so that they, they said, we, we believe God's going to open doors for us to work with North Koreans, whether they're refugees or maybe open the door to go into North Korea. And, um, and mm -hmm. so, man, we're, how do we, how do we be trained and ready? And so, you know, it, it, it started as youth with a mission. Uh, yeah. But now it's really anybody <laughs> with a mission. And, uh, you know, while I'm in the years that it's grown uh, since 1960, I think, uh, the missions landscape has changed. Now you've got every second church has a, a you know an opportunity to serve. Less so in, in COVID, uh, but lots of missions teams, um, you know, opportunities to serve locally, nationally, internationally, 
and that's fantastic. Uh, but YLAM was one of those sort of pioneers who said, yeah, we can do it. Uh, you can trust somebody who's 18. You can trust somebody who's, you know, 21 uh, to hear God, to step out, you know, and to make a difference. You, you don't need all of that training right away to go. So that's where YLAM started. Um, hope that hope that sort of fills in some of those gaps. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, speaking to that, I mean, uh, when we first met, uh, Dan, you and I, um, mm -hmm. we had quite a candid conversation around what you affirmed and were critical of in the industry. Um, I wonder what you could tell us of people's experience in and outside of YWAM. Um, yeah. Mm. Totally. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good way to put it candid conversation <laughs> both affirming and and somewhat critical i think in the affirming side uh is that uh, i think everybody should go and do at least the discipleship training school with mm -hmm. wow i mean five months to set aside to focus on god to spend time with jesus to learn about things like discipleship and missions and prayer and uh, evangelism and uh, it's a, a fantastic opportunity uh, there's no other platform that I know of that gets the same kind of life change and, and healing and restoration relationship with Jesus as a discipleship training school. Uh, and, you know, lots of friends that have gone to, to seminary for, for four years or even longer, six years to, to go to seminary and then go do master's. And they've still come to YLAM and gone, man, that was the best five months I could spend. So there's something about that particular program that's so rich. Uh, and so I, I think it's an open platform, what, you know, and take the opportunity, go do a, a discipleship training school. So in, in, that's in the positive. Um, I think in some of the critical is uh, YLAM, is an is a is a big agency in a space where it's straddling a difference between a training organization and a missions organization so as a missions organization it wants people to commit to missions rightly so it wants people to go to the field rightly so uh, it wants people to be involved with what it is doing as a mission and that is good uh, but but then the reality is that maybe maybe only 15% of people maybe 20 stay in youth with a mission you've got 80% of people who are going home and uh some of my critique would be that that training is not geared towards helping people live the christian life outside of the the bubble of YWAM does that make sense I love your yeah, your, yeah. your introduction uh even to the podcast you know where where two or three are gathered in a, a discussion around vocation uh, I think uh a piece that that YWAM is and maybe you know in the years since I was there maybe I've, I've been discovering more um but there is uh a lack of how do we help people just be ready to go home uh and i saw it last year even with 
COVID, you know, schools that were running that suddenly had to drop everything, send all the students home. You, you go back to your own church, uh, go back to your own community, go back to your own family. Uh, and so instead of just pushing people towards the mission field, how do we actually train people for life? And, you know, sometimes probably we could have the same critique of the church, you know, or seminary training might be, you know, does seminary training train you to uh, really deal with the lives of people or does it train you to deal with the lives of smart Christian scholars? I don't know. That's a, a potential critique, but but the reality is most people who leave seminary or leave biblical training of any variety are just going to live life. Uh, so how do we help them just live life? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I remember doing a, a theology paper last year. It was, um, might have been the year beforehand. Um, it was called uh, Mercy, Justice, and Social Transformation. Um, one of the books that really stood out to me, I was just actually searching for it then, um, this might ring a bell to either of you, um, Bryant Myers' um, Walking with the Poor. Does that, does that sound like a familiar text? The title um, sounds familiar, but I haven't read it. Yeah, he, he basically, uh, the sub-note uh, sub is uh, Principles and Practices of Transformational Development. So his premise, it's, like, it's quite a core textbook for dealing with uh, social transformation as a way to doing missions, right? And I think one of the things that stuck out to me from actually doing that book is that actually, and doing the paper by extension was just actually, wow, like, you know, mission work is nuanced and it's sophisticated. And, you know, you don't want to just have that Western mindset, uh, arguably, you know, colonial mindset that says, we're going to come in and we're just going to save everything, which I don't think, YWIM is doing. Right, let me give that disclaimer no. right there. But it's like, I think um, I was kind of aware of this pendulum swing where actually, you know, there's been this beautiful uh, openness to spirit led mission work, you know, birthed by actually what YWIM would have done in the 60s, the 1960s, to actually say, you know, giving spirit to room to prompt and poke on shoulders and actually say, anyone who feels led and so inclined it has the circumstances and has the means to actually pursue this to be able to do that towards mm. now kind of this shift towards back to but you don't want to just actually just wind up in a community and say just become followers of jesus okay bye mm. and then we're taking off like that's not necessarily helpful either like yeah. i think some of your correspondence was quite uh quite thoughtful and quite insightful around the whole you know premise of like where some of these people are going into these countries and they maybe do two or three years of uh work in these contexts and then they feel burned out like one of the things that came away from this paper is actually what processes of pastoral care are being put in place for these missional workers to be able to do long-term mission if they are to do long-term mission because i've i've mm. no no uh I have no kind of doubts that whatsoever that actually any mission work short-term or long-term is going to be difficult just by the sheer whiplash nature of it. You're going from one context and culture into another. It's going to totally, oh my gosh, everything I thought I knew was like entirely undone. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I do 
it's an interesting conversation, I think, for the church to consider in missiology going into this 21st century, like how do we do mission in a way that actually is life affirming, you know, God honoring. One thing that really came away from me was just like idea of um, transformation by incarnation, that actually mm-hmm. anything that's got to happen, it's got to be via the Holy Spirit transforming the, the individuals and then the community by extension. And that brings about the change. And, you know, you as the body of Christ, we as the body of Christ can collaborate with those groups and with those individuals, but it's not about trying to come and prescribe all the answers either. It has to be done no. in connection and con- collaboration. I don't know. I'm, I'll get off the sofa. Oh, I, think it's, but... I think it's really good. There's another mm. um, book that you might like, uh, mm. Jared, called When Helping Hurts, mm. which is in a similar sort of vein of, uh, you know, sometimes you don't need to show up as the Western savior. You know, it's like, man, you don't need another church in Africa. Like you don't need another building in Africa. Uh, you, you don't need to, to go and paint another building in Africa. What, yeah. what is needed is uh, good, solid discipleship. Um, you know, it's not the, the knowledge of uh, does God exist? It's, man, how do we actually live lives? Then, in, you know, to that question of, yeah, I mean, health, long-term health. I'm looking at some stuff here. This is some research from, from Barna back in uh, 2019, totally worth looking at um, around the, the future of faith. And they're saying one in five around the world is bang, battling anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we go just statistically, at, at, at every church, if you've got 200 people at church on Sunday, 40 of them are battling anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a lot of people, you know, or 200 people uh, in a year level in a school that you're, you know, teaching at. If there's 200 students aged 17 or 18, mm-hmm. statistics are at least 40% of them are battling anxiety you know so what what is our response uh as christians not not just as leaders or pastors uh you know but how are we helping equip parents to help their own kids or their their kids friends or how are we uh, equipping um somebody you know just in the church to help a co-worker who you know besides that sort of pad Here's the, here's the default Christian answer. How do we genuinely equip people to genuinely help people? Well, maybe it's worth launching on, on that as well. Uh, you mentioned also the successive focus in the church around numbers of people is one metric that we use for church growth and actually church success, right? I, I wonder, would, do you want to speak to that about actually what is and isn't God's kingdom? Any thoughts there, Dan? Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, as I wrote uh, to you earlier, I, I definitely think the church has a, um, a hang up on the numbers of people who are coming as the metric of success. Mm-hmm. And, and I, um, probably the most painful story recently that I've heard is, is uh, you know, around Carl Lentz and Hillsong. In, in New York, and it's like, yeah, we knew for years that there was stuff going on, 
but look at the fruit. Look at the people that are coming. So we just let it go. And yeah. you're like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no, that's not God's kingdom. <laughs> like, that's just not, there's just, there's no reading of scripture that I see where Jesus goes, yeah, focus on the numbers. Yeah. Uh, if anything, Jesus goes, okay. You know, like at, at one point, the disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, your, your words are, are tough for us to hear. You know, people are leaving you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. They are, but I'm in them. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I he doesn't mm -hmm. backpedal and go, mm -hmm. oh, some people might take this the wrong way. And so I should soften the message of the kingdom. I should soften the, the, the call to um, follow the call to obey. I mean, any of these things you just see, you never see Jesus shying away. Yeah. Uh, he's not harsh in the sense of he's not trying to push people away. Uh, he's not hurtful, but he's also not hiding behind numbers. And yeah. my contention is that sometimes, uh, and I work in a church and we look at, you know, we look at, you know, how many people are coming and how are we doing? It's, it's a metric, but, but it's not a great metric. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what about, the transformation of people. How do you measure somebody's mm. life transformed? How do you measure the the long term? You know, sometimes, particularly with numbers, you go week to week to week or month to month to month. But man, you know, remember that person who last year was living in their car mm. and uh, didn't have stable housing, and and look at their life now. They, they've got a place to to live. Uh, you know, maybe a rental. Um, maybe they've been given custody of their kids back again, or maybe, uh, you know, maybe they can put food on the table. Like, I think just some of our metrics of success mm -hmm. in the church need to be reshaped yeah. and, and reevaluated. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I don't think we should abandon numbers. They tell us something. They just don't tell us everything. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, reminds me of on, on a similar note to the Carl Lentz story was a cast that uh, Jared and I released a little while ago about uh, the whole Ravi Zacharias scandal totally. something that I mentioned in the um, cast was how I had been in contact with a New Zealand-based apologetics organization uh, before this scandal came out when there were scandals around his um, there, there, there were questions around his uh, him lying about qualifications and achievements academically that he had uh, he was definitely lying about them and was caught out for it and I contacted this apologetics organization and their rationale was for, for still supporting him even though it was supposed to be a truth and facts-based organization was that well the work that he has done and the numbers of of people that have been affected by his uh um by his testimony outweigh that and I was kind of thinking it outweighs the truth you know um I, I understand you know that there was some incredible stuff that had been done through his ministry but if it's at the cost of the truth um then those people are not free because that's what the truth does um mm, totally. yeah mm. yeah it's it's not dissimilar from um what David Wood was saying of X 17 apologetics, mm -hmm. he made that a similar response to the Ravi situation. And he mentioned about how 
there's this weird paradigm in churches and church leadership where it's like people aren't given the space and the grace to fail in yeah. positions of leadership um, or to fail well or to fail with accountability or mm. you know if there aren't those processes of accountability built into the way they do do church leadership mm. i'm not saying it's always the case i'm just making a broad sweeping statement but mm. the the difficulty that that creates is that you know like there is a pedestal mentality and like actually the gospel should be about grace that's one thing so that should be your modality right but also though these people if they do have sin that is habitual that they're dealing with it then becomes hidden habitual sin it's mm -hmm. not something you can actually be honest about and actually say hey as an eldership or hey as a leadership you know i effed up and i'm continuing to deal with this and i really need some help it's like there's salary there's you know budgets there's everything worked into it yeah. as well so church's business becomes problematic as well mm. yeah mm. so dan um jared had mentioned in our uh brief earlier that that you had an accident a couple years ago um and there there had been bits and pieces in, in that story but uh um what is is there anything that you're willing or or able to tell us about that uh, about that happening? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I um we moved back to New Zealand after I had gone to uh, grad school for my masters and um, brought the kids home from uh, from America and uh, back to New Zealand. And right when we got here, just moving stuff around, uh, slipped a disc, but where it where it sort of popped out my back, I, I compressed uh, a bunch of nerves in my leg. And sort of long story short, after about a year, they just said, hey, we're just going to do surgery. And so um, they ended up doing a, a sort of surgery. If you imagine standing on a garden hose, uh, instead of trying to take the, the weight off the top of the hose, it's like they dug out underneath. So they cut into my spine and they lifted the nerves up and they drilled the bone out underneath my um underneath this nerve and then uh, put everything um, back together and sent me home uh but like a root the, canal for your spine basically yeah like a root canal for your spine exactly <laughs> yep yep uh but i got a, a an infection from the the surgery a post-op infection and it Oof. got really um i just didn't know that it was obviously it was lots of pain it was in my spine um so uh, again, sort of long story short, I, I ended up back in hospital, uh, for about two and a half weeks. Um, and then I was on a, a type of antibiotic to kill this, uh, bacteria that had begun to grow in my spine, uh, very rare sort of bacteria. None of the doctors, you know, the, the sort of specialist team had heard of it, but generic doctors hadn't. And, um, so the, antibiotic they used is one they used to treat anthrax which is cool you know as a yeah. claim to fame uh but they put a little line in your arm and they run it all the way through your arteries or your veins uh and it stops right at your heart so they're trying to get antibiotics to your heart just as fast as they can and so 24 hours a day uh for eight weeks um on this stuff and it you know, it's a good antibiotic. It, it killed all bacteria, good, bad, or otherwise. So my, my teeth turned brown and my, um, 
you know, the healthy bacteria uh, in my body was, was obviously destroyed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that, in this whole journey, and then, you know, you get out of hospital and there's more recovery, et cetera, et cetera. What I learned about myself was that I wasn't the super spiritual, <laughs> you know, I've been on the mission field. I've lived in Taiwan. I've, I've lived, uh, you know, I've been a, Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam and all these places. You know, man, when it came down to it, I was uh, a little bit scared, probably a lot bit frustrated at God, probably, uh, you know, a little bit like a petulant five-year-old. Um, and I saw all of these ways that, man, I still need to grow. But, but God is still, you know, I don't, I don't need to give up on God. He hasn't given up on me, but there was this uh, journey of like, man, get off the soapbox, get off the the sort of power pose Christianity, and and just go, man, you need to lean into Jesus. Uh, and it probably took me longer than I want to admit to get to that point where I just said I need to lean into Jesus instead of waking up frustrated, uh, blaming circumstances, blaming God, blaming my wife, blaming, <laughs> I mean, pick anybody. I tried it. I tried, yeah. you know, I tried to blame them. So, um, but it was this journey of going, man, I still see, you know, way back we talked uh, right at the start, you know, me saying, God, show me if you're real. It, it was again, a journey of me seeing that God is real, letting him show me. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. But also don't slip a disc and go for back surgery. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That, 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 that's a whole, that's a whole, um, mess of craziness. I mean, I, I, just the surgery alone, I, five, six, maybe more years ago, I was, uh, an orderly at a hospital and part Mm. of the job required me to, when I was working shifts in theatre to clean up after surgeries, and the the mm. ones that are like the type that you're describing, where they drill into the spine, those were messy. Um, and I had to pick up the little bits of bone um, mm-hmm. gloves, of course. Although I knew one yeah, guy, yeah. I knew one guy that never wore gloves, and he'd pick up little bits of bone. Um, kind of, yeah. I don't know. If there's enough hand sanitizer in the world. Uh, yeah. To clean that. That's, yeah that's intense. yeah um but yeah anyway Wait, you're um, saying that post-covid as well <laughs> it, it, it was it was pre-covid that this happened um really? but yeah it, it yeah just that alone uh is mm. is intense enough um mm. let alone having a, a post-op infection and mm. all of those things that's mm. um yeah it's yeah. been a real journey of um i think it's one thing to and you guys have probably seen this you do something with a church or with a you know any sort of christian organization and and there's a almost like church camp high you know like yeah we did it we're excited god could do anything the worship was awesome the uh, the speakers were awesome you know you come home on this like man cloud nine for jesus yeah Uh, but it's rare and it's easy to go god is real when Mm. i'm you know i could think of places i've been and and people i've worked with 
in, in foreign nations where I go, man, it's easy to see that God is real in the midst of this. Mm-hmm. But the reality of living in New Zealand, a, you know, an arguably, uh, you know, wealthy country, well to do, you know, the, the, we have no excuses sort of country. Um, man, it was so, it, it almost felt harder to go, where do I see God? Yeah. It's much easier just to blame, uh, blame, blame my doctor for the, the post-op infection, blame the hospital, blame, yeah, I mean, yeah. I just saw things about me where I go, man, I am not as good of a person as I want to project to the world. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So I got to get better. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. I got to lean into Jesus more. That's where it came down mm. to. Yeah, I, I find some empathy. Like there's a similar situation, at least in terms of the the takeaway. That like, mm. uh, yeah, I'm definitely having that experience of like, yeah, not a good person. Definitely good to lean into Jesus more. <laughs> um, so relatable. Thank you for that authenticity. Yeah, mm. totally. Cool. And um, Dan, look, looking at more around uh, your work now in hmm. um ministry and and having worked in all kinds of different sectors a lot of them very ministry related um what would you say are some of the highlights and lowlights and what more specifically what are the things about ministry that people don't really know about or or understand from an outside perspective Hmm. that's a really good question yeah, I think um, I, I, the way I describe it is that ministry is, is the role for the never fully satisfied. So I'm, that's in, in a positive sense and a negative sense. So uh, in a negative sense, it, people are never fully satisfied because there's, there's always more. You give an hour of time and somebody wants two. Uh, you give, you give a hundred food packs and people want 200, you give, uh, you know, it's whatever it is, there's a never fully satisfied that's there because there's no end. Uh, even if today went well, you wake up tomorrow, someone comes with a new problem. And, and so that's, it's a negative if we let it overwhelm us. And, and I think everybody in ministry at some point goes through a period of time where they just go, it's overwhelming. Uh, they're never fully satisfied. So I, I think it's good just to acknowledge it and go, man, that, that's a, a unique component um, in, in that regard. Uh, but it's a positive too. So it's a positive because there's no end and that's a good thing. People are always being transformed. Uh, there's always an opportunity to lean into Jesus. There's always an opportunity to, to pray, to hear, to obey, to step out. There's always uh, an opportunity to lean into scripture or, you know, preach something all over again to a different group of people that, that need to hear that same message. Um, and so I love that there is that opportunity of never fully satisfied. I think the tension then, and sometimes the, 
uh, in my experience of varying degrees of success, I suppose, of celebrating the wins. You know, mm -hmm. how do you do you take time to stop and celebrate where something went well or where somebody's life has been transformed or um, something that's happening? Or is it just, yep, that one's done. Okay, wake up into the next one, wake up into the next one. So how do we celebrate well? And um, I love, uh, I still love, somebody showed me this almost 20 years ago. Uh, it, it's in Deuteronomy 14, not a, not a famous chapter by any means. Uh, but Deuteronomy 14 is talking about um, the, the people of Israel and, and bringing their first fruits uh, to God. And it says, if the place that you live, well, first it says, bring your, bring your first fruits, celebrate what God has done, celebrate the goodness of God. But if the place that you live is too far away from the temple or too far away from that gathering space, uh, take your first fruits and sell them, take the proceeds and, and throw a big party. Uh, so it's this encouragement in, in Deuteronomy 14 for God's people to celebrate where God has been at work. And I think that sometimes in ministry, um, we, we focus on the lowlights because we see that potential. We focus on the person struggling. We focus on the ministry opportunity and we sometimes miss the celebration opportunities. And so, uh, you know, I think if, if we're going to jump into ministry um, or be pulled or called or whatever, whatever verb we put there, uh, you know, one is to acknowledge the reality of a never fully satisfied world. Uh, but, but in that we lean into Jesus, you know, point, it's like, the role of a, of a pastor or even the role of a church, I think, is, is to, you know, probably on a podcast, it's hard to see, walk around with one finger in the air, um, pointing, you know, so people come to you and you go, hey, don't look at me, look that way. Mm. Go, yeah. go, you know, if, if life's not satisfying, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and promise you health and wellness and, and you know, endless vacation but I'm going to tell you that if you look that way, mm. you will get your eyes on Jesus and, and you will begin to see the world through Jesus' eyes. Mm. And so in a never fully satisfied world, that's what we want. Walk around sure. looking that way. And then that second piece of going, man, take any and every opportunity to celebrate what God is doing. Uh, you know, don't sort of look, look over it and go, oh, you know, it just was. Of course, that would happen. There's no, of course. Uh, uh, there's no, of course, somebody would be living. I mean, I'm thinking specifically, this is from Mexico, uh, a family living in a taxi, uh, an abandoned taxi on a plot of land in Mexico, and, and somebody hearing about that and going, we could build you a house. Um, now, house is a relative term. This was, you know, like a 20 foot by 20 foot, uh, you know, so sort of five meters, six meters by six meters. But for them, man, that's a world of difference from living in a taxi. And, and we shouldn't just go, I, of course, that would happen. Of course, someone would show up. Um, but the reality of a broken world is no, no, people showed up because God sent them. People showed up because God prompted them. 
and and so we should celebrate things like that um celebrate the wins so anyway those are some of the 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 lowlights highlights and the hey maybe watch out for us yeah like uh it definitely i guess when church you know leadership and you know the church contextually contemporarily you know flirts with you know people in leadership positions burning out because of a a perfectionist bent right Mm. it's got to be the perfect service the perfect sermon we got to reach all the people like there is it's why it has to like the better way is definitely a relational modality right where you're actually saying this is about relating to jesus you know my yoke is easy my burden is light right and Mm. relationship gives you that space and grace to say it's like hey, this is a person and they're going to stuff up some weeks and they're going to succeed and thrive, not just survive other weeks, right? Like Mm. if it doesn't come back to actually in the way you do church, the services, the liturgy, the home groups, the events, it doesn't come back to actually doing life and doing relationships with people. And Mm. by consequence, the substitution becomes another way of doing things, another way of orthopraxis. I mean, that's going to just lead to something that's not sustainable. I think that's kind of what you're getting at there, Dan, isn't totally. it? Um, totally. So, like, you know, kind of a segue, but, like, linking to that, um, I'd love to ask you what drew you to this to this church of uh, Whangaparoa Baptist and what drew you to the role of teaching pastor here? Yeah, yeah, totally. I uh, remember doing a study through the, the book of Acts. I was living in Taiwan, and... I, uh, you know, had grown up in the church and, and had been with my family and youth with the mission even as a kid, um, but I had never seen the role that Acts plays in the New Testament. That, you know, it's like, the, it's like going into the AA store um, and asking for a roadmap. Like, wait a minute. Oh, so when, when Paul was here, he's in this part of the world oh man, there's a book that's written to those people. Like, and there's a city called Corinth and there's two letters to them. And what on earth was going on in Corinth? And what did, what did Paul already tell them? And then what, what do these two follow-up letters tell us about um, their world? And, and if I'm honest, my world's not that different. <laughs> you know, I wear different clothes and eat different food and live on the other side of the planet. But, but my world of the things that I'm frustrated by, that my, my world of um, my own dysfunctions or my reactions to other people's dysfunctions, man, I need, that, I need that roadmap of the New Testament to sort of help me see where to go. And so I, I feel like for me, it was a really pivotal um, book of looking at, man, there's, it's not just a a collection of 66 books and you know you should learn uh you know greek and hebrew and study it like it's a dictionary um this is a book that's alive and rich and full of life and so uh, for me that was really a a beginning i think of a lifelong calling into teaching uh and then farm for baptist church in, in particular uh was probably a mix of uh, calling or pulling from the Lord to, you know, exercise that gift. There's no good having a gift and not using it. 
um, there's no good throwing it on a shelf. And so an opportunity came along and, and I felt like this is an opportunity, a way to serve in my own community. Uh, you know, I remember, um, uh, oh man, now I've got two names mixed up. Um, Eugene Peterson, there we go, mm -hmm. translated the message. So he used to live down, um, just down the hill from us in Montana. Uh, he had a house there near the lake and um and so he would come and teach sometimes uh at youth of the mission in montana and i remember him um sharing one time somebody asked him you know what what about the local church what's the best church to go to you know do you go to the mega church or do you go to you know like which church should we go to which one's best and i remember eugene peterson saying well find a church near you and go there like that's the best one. Just go to a church near you. Find people in your community who are seeking to love Jesus. Join them, you know? And so I think for me, we live in Farm for All. Here's a church in Farm for All. Here's an opportunity. Man, go there. Uh, there's teaching the space for you. Exercise that gift. So that was, you know, it's probably a, a mix of opportunity and um stepping into something yeah i love that um i love like uh yeah specifically what you're saying about actually proximity hey rather than actually kind of looking for the perfect circumstances i think in a place like auckland we can be tempted to shop around until we find something we like but there's also a sense of like well you know if we are the body of Christ and, you know, we're all in process, we're all in journey to actually being refined to what actually Christ wants us to be. Maybe the local church needs you and what you offer, right? There's mm -hmm. something of an invitation there, I think. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's something of like no secret um, to those who are listening to the podcast and maybe some of our mm. friends and people who know us, but Caleb and I have aspirations to, if the Lord wills to pastor and perhaps church plant someday and or um, we'd love to know, given your role in a church and, you know, your, you know, your vast professional experience and professional mm. ministry, um, just some of your thoughts around ecclesiology, both generally and specifically, um, mm. what would you say are some of the things needed for successful groups of Christ disciples within mm. communities? Mm. really good just a just a light coffee shop question <laughs> yeah yeah oh man hitting the home runs uh i have an answer here which i still think is 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 true but even as we're talking i i think you know a, a heart to serve where you are uh, and a heart to serve whoever comes. And sometimes the people we want to come, come. They show up, you know, the, whatever that means. The, the people from uh, a certain, you know, economic background or educational background or um, cultural experiential background or, you know, we, we, we go, ah, oh, we want a church for these kinds of people. Sometimes they come, or sometimes the reality of church is, man, the people we didn't expect to come, come. <laughs> ah, 
Well, that's awkward. <laughs> didn't know, didn't know you had that problem. Didn't know you showed up with that. Didn't know. And so I think, I think for anybody in church, man, we, we've got to just have a heart to serve the people who come, whatever that looks like. Uh, but also a, a heart to call them to be more like Jesus. And that involves, man, have a vision. Why, why are we, why are we running the church? Why here? Why, uh, why not go and join someone else's church that they're already running? So why are we planting a church? It's not to say we shouldn't church plant, but, mm -hmm. but that whole idea of, man, go to the church near you. Like, yep. You know, maybe there is a space, maybe there's not, maybe there's a space to serve. Maybe there's not, but that, that tension. So I think a heart mm -hmm. to serve those who mm -hmm. come and a vision for what you're doing. Uh, and then you know, I think, you know, then we can unapologetically structure ourselves to serve that vision and to serve those people. Uh, mm. Yeah. Anyway, that's, cool. that's what comes to mind. Yeah. yeah. I'm reminded yeah. of um, uh, the documentary Furious Love and there was a pastor, Robbie Dawkins, I think he's connected with the, um, the vineyard movement over in the States. Mm. But he shared a vision like that radically changed his view of um, ecclesiology. He got a vision from, you know, uh, from God where he describes how he's standing in the church and he's trying to preach from a pulpit and inside the pews are people shooting up drugs and you know, having mm. sex in the pews and like breaking mm. out into fights. And he basically just gets this fevered pitch and he says like, if you're not going to respect the Lord's house, then you just need to leave. Like, and then he hears this, you know, word from presumably from the spirit, which says like, mm. but why would you send out which I have sent in? And he said, mm. Lord, I didn't ask for this. And he said, you asked me for the loss. Mm. Now keep it simple, love them, let mm. me do the rest. Mm. And I think like, I still, every once in a while are reminded, it's like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the paradigm we have to think from that. Like I'm lost and we're all lost without Jesus. And like, mm. we are found because of him and there's nothing that makes us better, but it has to actually be a mentality of, yeah, serve the people that are there and mm. don't try to actually presume that we have it all together or that we're all got it worked out. It's about actually wherever we're at and however we are, because that's how Christ found us. And the beauty of that is that, you know, sanctification says, oh, we've come a long way and we've got a long way to go, but look how far we've come also, right? Mm. yeah thanks yeah, yeah. No, yeah really like good. and and um I, I guess what that reminds me of is uh just i i, I guess just partially segueing into the next question but mm. it just makes me think of the the idea of ministry and and all of those points there um don't just apply to those who are wanting to do vocational ministry um mm -hmm. as some would put it, it it applies to all of us and you know there, there's the the old corny thing you know ministry means service it means to serve not to mm. uh not to lead necessarily um so all of us as christians have a ministry uh if we live a christian life uh, we have a ministry whether we like it or not mm. um mm. and and, and I guess in regards to that, would you, Dan, have any comments um, or thoughts around our roles as just for the everyday Christian, our roles as disciples uh, in this day and age? Um, 
for mm. yeah just for your everyday christian mm. another another little quick question another yeah another yeah. another <laughs> I um, I've been thinking a lot uh, on on Luke six forty six. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a story where uh, Jesus starts. He's going to tell a parable about the the man who builds the house on the sand, the man who builds the the house on the rock. Um, but he starts this sort of piece into these parables, and he says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say?" And his sort of implication there is is either either stop calling me Lord or start doing what I've told you to do. And and I think sometimes we, um, particularly in the in the Western world, where and I'm not disparaging education. I I absolutely believe in education, but we we sometimes um, do so much work around trying to go. Oh well. We've got a Bible study on discipleship. Well, we've got a, we, we've got a, uh, uh, you know, we've we've put together a, another course. Um, here's a TED talk on what would discipleship look like. Here's a, you know, we we create programs, and and I think what Jesus is saying is, well, just just do it. Just, you know, go make disciples. Go, don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, so in, in that Luke six forty six, he's just saying, what do I want you to do? Uh, when you hear me say something, do it, you know, and, and how can we expect that? Oh God, we're waiting for you to open the next opportunity and God's like, yeah, but I gave you an opportunity. Uh, yeah, but you walked right past him. You know, he was there <laughs> with his McDonald's cup, just looking for five bucks and a hamburger, uh, yeah but you were too busy on your way to your prayer conference that, you know, and it's like, ah, oh, but we want you to show up. And he's like, I was. <laughs> so I, I just think sometimes we, we, we need to step back and go, man, what is God saying? Are we doing it? That's what matters. Uh, and probably some of that, uh, I think for me, really shaped by, um, a couple of really good books, uh, you know, for any anybody listening uh, that has time to read. Um, a, a good book called When People Are Big and God is Small, and, and another really good book called The Trivialization of God, uh, and then probably a third one called Church History in Plain Language. And, and in all of these, um, particularly the church history one, which looks at kind of big lumps of history, you know what was the big theme in the in the 300s what was the big theme in the in the dark ages what was the big theme in the reformation and i remember going through this book and and having somebody ask me i wonder what they'll say about us in the early 21st century <laughs> you know in a couple hundred years when they look back on the church of today what's what's going to be the big theme of say the end of the 20th century early 21st century and you know, so we got in a big conversation about this, and and I remember uh, this person saying, "I think I think what they're going to say is that we made God little. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me, we, we made God manageable." Uh, and so, 
you know, how do we how do we not do that? Well, we we put him back in his rightful place. God's big; he's not like us. When he says to do something, we obey. We don't sort of go, "Oh yeah, that's a good idea." Well, see what my schedule looks like and book it in, you know. So uh, anyway, I, I think I went on a bit of a, a tangent there, but um, hopefully that helps. Love rabbit holes here. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that probably um, wraps up things really well. Um, I just wanted to say uh, again, Dan, <clears throat> thank you for coming. Uh, thank you uh, for spending the time. Um, yeah, spending your time, your, your evening uh, talking to us and, uh, you know, trying to condense questions that should require an essay into one paragraph <laughs> um i think sometimes i um took the paragraph and expanded on it a little too much but thanks for your time and thanks for having me on the cast it's yeah. uh it's a real privilege even just to talk about some of these and even as we're talking i'm thinking man mm -hmm. i needed that reminder tonight so yeah thank you for the opportunity bless you friend um is there anything that you would particularly like to plug um Certainly not least of all, um, you know, why WAMs work and, you know, a, a recommending people actually go on a DTS. Um, are you wanting to plug that, say, or anything? Yeah, else? I mean, absolutely uh, wanting to plug, you know, people into Youth of the Mission and the opportunity that's there. Uh, I mean, I, I genuinely, it's like, man, if I, could, if I could pay for all of my friends to do one thing, it would be go do that go yeah. spend five months with jesus just mm. just take that time take a big step back and and focus on him uh what a rich experience um i, I would say if you know if you're living in new zealand and um you're in either wellington or or auckland and uh you know you're interested in really connecting with other believers that have a passion for Jesus and and vocation and uh, life and wisdom. Check out the Venn Foundation. Uh, mm. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I don't work for them. I've done some stuff with them and just really admire what they are doing in a space of connecting, you know, mm. people to Jesus. So check out what they're doing. Uh, mm. Those would be two things. One that, you know, maybe after COVID, get out in the world. Uh, but in the meantime, there's some great opportunities in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, I get, I get the impression that the Venn Foundation will be one to watch in the next couple, couple of years. There's, uh, yeah. I, I, see, I see some encouraging things coming out of them. And I think mm. like Church New Zealand needs what they're offering. Um, Dan, it's, it's, it's our tradition on the podcast to actually pray for a guest uh when we finish I'd love um, that. Would, you, would you love us to yeah i'd love that yeah thanks man appreciate it yeah um dear lord jesus we thank you for this this man you know we thank you that actually there's been this beautiful blend of story of testimony but informing this this wealth of experience and wisdom that you've actually sanctified in him lord that i am encouraged by our 
two or three gathering, um, you know, that there's actually an opportunity to worship you again, Lord. Thank you for what you have done in Dan's life. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you were good. Thank you that you are mighty. And thank you that in this conversation, there's been many invitations to obedience, to a proper fear of the Lord and what that means, to service, to, you know, why do we call you Lord, Lord, and don't do what you say, to, you know, thinking through the structures and the, the, the modes in which we do things as church through a scriptural lens, through a Christological lens, through a what does the Bible say lens, Lord. Sometimes we make it busy and sometimes we make it uh, unnecessarily dense when again we just need to come back to how do you, Christ, speak to what your scripture says, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to teach us through your scripture? For again, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we want to pray a blessing for Dan for these helpful worthwhile reminders we've been blessed with tonight Lord ourselves as our hosts also any uh, blessed listener has the privilege of being able to hear this and we pray for a blessing on his his wife and kids Lord thank you Lord for the beautiful blessing they are to him they enrich his life and enrich his soul and that his love to them is worship to you Lord we thank you for his um, his vocational ministry within the pastures we pray for the day by day Lord wherever you go you will carry the name of the street because Lord it isn't about necessarily a role but more about just a stance of spirit and we pray Lord for more opportunities for Dan we can actually say out of the authenticity of who you've made him to be may I seek to worship you out of that seek to be everything you have it in me for me to be um, we pray a blessing on him we pray a blessing on resourcing both natural and supernatural will you have for him that your will will be done through him on earth as it is in heaven and yeah lord for the final we just pray for people listening may they get something that actually they encourage them to do something simple today that would actually you know something to put an action where they can actually say i can do that that's something small i can do that might make a change might make a difference in the lives of my worship of jesus and maybe in the lives of those around me Pray all these things in the name of Jesus, my dear Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 Thank you.